Okay, welcome back to the AEC High podcast, where we're talking about innovation in architecture, engineering, and construction. I'm Ralph Montague, co-founder at AEC Hive, I'm the director at ArcDocs as well. I'm joined by John Egan from BIM Launcher. John, do you want to say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. Um, John Egan here, co-founder at AEC Hive, CEO at BIM Launcher. I'm really looking forward to talking to Simon today. We go way back, so I'm looking forward to hearing about his journey and having him share share a bit more about that with you, the community. So, thanks. So we're very excited to be, to be joined by Simon Moreau from Bouygues Immobilier from France, the real estate division of Bouygues. Simon, if you'd like to give us a short introduction to yourself, to your business, to doing, and then we can talk about innovation. Thanks, and thanks for having me on this show. Really looking forward to it. So my name is Simon, and I'm working for Bouygues Immobilier, which, as you say, it's it's a real estate branch of one of the largest construction and real estate group in in France. I wasn't expecting to end up at a real estate company, actually. I came from an engineering background. I've worked for, well, since since I graduated, actually, in various engineering firms uh, in France, doing what was generally called BIM manager, but in practice, the, the, my actual role uh, changed a bit during the year. I, I started for um, for an engineering firm that was doing a large project in the Middle East. Uh, I work with, well, I actually work with quite weird software like uh, Katia, for example. And um, but uh, after that, uh, I joined a more traditional uh, engineering French engineering firm where I, I have designed hospitals, healthcare facilities, sort of things. And afterwards, one of my clients at the time, Bouygues uh, Immobilier, so asked me if I wanted to to join them to help them how BIM could be useful for real estate developer. And so I joined them. And I, I help them develop their, their BIM capabilities for uh, commercial buildings. And since two years ago, and since one of my, let's say, ideas what's uh, BIM managers are going to disappear, I wanted to, to walk the path and I become myself a uh, real estate developer. And so I'm now working as a, well, I'm, it's, it's called a MOTC. I, I won't bother you with what this means in French, but I'm basically the, the, the technical manager for the project at Boogie Media. And I'm working with architects and engineers, uh, during the, the design phase. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a BIM manager anymore. Very good. That's fantastic. Why would a real estate developer be interested in BIM? You because know, you know, when people think about real estate developers in general, you know, they're quite conservative, probably more interested in the physical than the, the digital. You know, what's the key driver for Bouygues uh, Immobilier to even think about BIM? I'm not sure they, they were even have an answer for this question when they hire me. And, and this, I think this is still a really 
valid questions. It's it's not obvious since Buig is part Buig as a real Buig as a real estate developer is part is part of a larger construction group. So the, as a real estate developer, we have might say a, a technical mindset, and and so we are rather technical subject uh, in the in the building construction design and so on more than uh, an, I say an average uh, real estate developer and they, they they wanted to understand this what might say this new trend and see what could be done and actually what I realized working at Bougainville is that for me model based design and model based workflow are, are becoming the norm and as a real estate developer, we have to review the project, understand what's going on on the design. And so if we are still hooked up to PDF and 2D drawing with the design, if the design is developed using models. And so the idea was to enable Wikimobilier, enable my colleagues to, let's say, open the model, see it, understand what was going on. And actually use the model to do the day-to-day job. So what I'm doing right now, um, I might say review the, the, the design, ensuring that the design is, it's, uh, it's, it's aligned with the, the, let's say the commercial and marketing strategy. And I wanted to, to push the idea of BIM as a management and project management tool. Uh, for the for the real estate, and I suppose the the company is involved in the full life cycle. So if you you're employing designers to design your your developments, you sort of you have your own construction arm that's going to construct those those developments, and you also have a, a a division that's looking operating or looking after those developments. Actually, we don't. We we are not necessarily. Having our construction branch build, uh, okay. we 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 publish tender, uh, we we publish a tender, and okay. even our uh, even uh, other construction company can and mostly build our own uh, our own project. Um, and we we don't really manage the building. We we sell the building as we as we build them. So we don't really have the the wall exploitation parts, but we have more and more clients, especially in the commercial buildings, who want to be able to at least have uh, some comprehensive model of the building they are buying. And so we, we have a, a bunch of clients who wanted to, to have a, a model with things like uh, attached specification sheets, this sort of thing. And, and so we, we have as a real estate developer, we we have to negotiate this sort of addition to the to the to the building and make sure that the the engineering firms and and uh, and contractors uh, provide these models. Uh, we are not owning any buildings, and so we don't really need to manage them directly. Yeah. Okay. But of course, I mean, every building you develop does have to be managed by somebody. Yes. Uh, at, in the end, and I suppose whoever ends up having to manage those buildings would prefer yes. you know, digital data versus lots of paper drawings. Or 
Exactly. Yeah. And it's a good commercial practice to provide them with these models, even if they don't ask them directly or if they don't really want such a technical thing. But well, the idea is uh, we think that now it's good practice to provide such models. So we make sure that we have them at the end to 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 give uh, along the along the drawing and the actual building. Yeah, yeah. The sort of primary theme of AC Hive is about innovation in this sector. So where do you see within your practice of in real estate development, what's difficult and what where, what's the areas you feel need a lot of innovation and which are the areas that you feel are working quite well where innovation is, is quite progressive? Well, you, you, you say it, uh, and it, I think that's the case for Bluegimobi as well. Real estate developers are quite conservative. It's a risk management business. You know, you have to handle large complex projects. So obviously it's, it's tend to make you a bit conservative. On the other end, our clients, uh, want more innovative things in general and the BIM models and so on are part of it. What's difficult? Well, uh, obviously changing is, is always difficult. I, I think for me, when I was, let's say, pushing building information modeling, um, at, uh, at Immobilier, there's so a really difficult thing was to, to actually provide some, some value while using these, these models. It, it's not, it's not always obvious that using a 3D model just for the sake of it, it's uh, actually provide values for my colleague. And now that I'm, I'm actually doing the job of a real estate developer, technical manager for a real estate developer, I tend to to realize that I actually need the, the model for some specific task. And let's say, I don't know, understand how a complex stairs will work, for example. But for other purpose, like, let's say, uh, how the, the, the room areas are organized, I'd rather have, um, let's say, an Excel spreadsheet or a, a, a nicely colored 2D drawings instead of a of an actual 3D models and and really pinpoint for for each job which tool was the, the, the better suited without having my own bias towards 3D models what was actually a, a real challenge you, you have to understand the, the job of the, of the one you're supposed to help and sort things out between Useful innovation, innovations that provide values and actually helps people and innovations for the sake of innovation where you force BIM model to people who don't really need them. I try to keep the, the balance and, and, and this, this might sound <laughs> quite conservative by the way, but I really think that it's uh, especially for a real estate developer, building information modeling it's not all well 3d model more specifically is not always a, the perfect solution and i try to keep uh, a proper balance between let's say traditional representation of a building 2d drawings and 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 3d modelings and trying to find the, the balance between convenience ease of use let's say accuracy and so on yeah well, I suppose just as you were talking about that, I mean, my thought there was, 
you know, there's there's a there's a number of ways you could produce those different outputs that you described there, like the the room schedule, the the coloured floor yes. plan, and the the 3D model. One way is you could produce each of those separately, or you could produce the 3D model first and let the 3D model generate a coloured plan output or a, a schedule. And the outcome of those two ways of doing it, the output's the same, but the the effort. In, in doing those thing, those three things separately is obviously a lot more if you do them as separate exercises. Whereas if you you produce the three model first and let let the model generate the outputs, um, it's it's a lot quicker and a lot more accurate because yes. it's obviously the same thing. And may, maybe a lot of people who don't, aren't involved in the actual creation of outputs don't understand that. Yeah, so they just look at the output and say, well, I just want a colored plan, or I just want a schedule, or I just want this, and not understanding that producing each of those things separately is a lot more time and a lot more effort, and a, there's a lot more opportunity for for errors between those outputs if you do them as separate exercises. Is, would, you, would you say that's the case, that people outside of architecture and engineering who are in, involved in the BIM process probably don't understand the, the difference of, of the level of input required and the, the sort of connectedness between all those outputs and the importance of the connectedness. This is something I had to explain to my colleague, also explain to said, architects and engineers we were working with. And obviously, the, the idea was to, to have them use a model and extract all the necessary information like Colored plans and schedule and so on, and from a model. But I, I, I also had to make sure that what I was asking as a as a client was not say too difficult, too complex, or and even sometimes it was in specific cases it was more efficient for an architect to I don't know say um, not draw. The, the, the full model to just give me a few sketch of a detail of a solutions before actually modeling. In the case, for example, we, we had some issue with uh, mechanical uh, models where we tend to ask way too much, way too early, and we end up with really large MEP models at early stage that were throw away just a few months later because uh, the requirement changed and the whole model was to be cast away and start again. And so we, we really had some, uh, as a client for uh, of uh, engineering and architectural firms, we really had to be disciplined to be able to understand what we were asking when we were asking 3D models understand what we could get from these models, what was the benefits, and also what was the trade-off. Not ask complex 3D models at the very early stage of the product, of the, of the, of the project, because even if as a client, we can't ask an engineering firm to redo 10 times a mechanical or an MVP model. And so, we, we, we had a few, let's say a few months, year of um, back and forth between engineering firms and architect firms and us to really understand as a sale of the level of detail and the level of development 
that was necessary um, for for uh, for the development of the project. But without asking too much, we were trying to really, let's say, improve how we design things to, and really pinpoint what is necessary to find in the model at each step and not overdo it. So you, so the innovation you're talking about there is not even technical. It's more around the process of, you know, how, yeah. what to ask for, when to ask for it, to make sure that what you ask for is not going to be thrown away. Yeah. Know, so the, the whole approach and the process is, is almost the innovation besides the technology. The technology is just supporting. I think my only, say, technological contribution at Bouygues Immobilier was to, to make them buy a, a web-based uh, IFC viewer, and that's it. This was useful, but from a technical standpoint, it was not almost trivial. But from the organizational and process uh, perspective, that's, I think that's where the, the real challenge was. Of course, in your personal capacity, you've obviously been heavily involved in innovation for a number of years as a BIM manager and developing your own plugins and tools and you know, you're sort of at the forefront of innovation. Would you say when you look at the sector you know, in both designers, contractors, you know, real estate developers, you know, it would be our feeling that the, the sector is, a, is quite low in innovation at a broad level. I mean, there's, there's incredible things happening, of course, in projects, you know, in the way we build each individual project, but sometimes that innovation doesn't find its way out into the, the broader sector. So, I mean, is that your, do you, do you share that sort of sense of a low level of innovation in general? I can't really say. Obviously, uh, I agree with you and I think the whole AEC business industry is rather conservative for good reason. Uh, I think we, 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 we manage the, one of the most complex projects people can make, you know, buildings and infrastructure. And so it's, there is good reason to be conservative. And you, you just have to look at failed infrastructure project to understand that it's, it's no picnic to, to, to make such, a, uh, such buildings or infrastructure. But I don't see, well, from my whole, whole short career, I haven't seen any real, let's say, revolutions around design or constructions. For me, this whole building information uh, modeling thing and and, and and it's it's more an, an evolution of, of what we were doing before. My point is, even with these new tools, we are still designing buildings, doing more or less the same work, might say. Engineering are still doing more or less the same work. Contractors arrive more or less at, at the same moment. And I, I don't really see these tools for now actually as as uh, as really enable us to evolve as an industry well maybe involve but this is this for me it's really not a, a revolution uh, when you can see that for example in the let's say media and entertainment industry well where tools like you know uh, video streamings that's completely transform 
the their business, you know, with uh, with uh, Hollywood uh, producer being concurred by Netflix and this sort of things. We I don't really see this happening in the in the building industry. My own group exists since uh, I think it's the, the 50s uh, after the Second World War, and there are still architects engineers and they produce tenders and tenders are sent to contractors and contractors build things and they hand over this to the real estate who hold them in the first place and there is no for me no real transformation in the in the building industry but on the other end i I also think that the, the tool we use are evolving a bit slowly to my taste but obviously evolving so what, what would you like to see? Like you, you mentioned uh, the, the example of streaming in the media industry. Like, you know, would, would you like to see streaming design data, <laughs> where data goes straight from, you know, f- from no, the architect I, to the contractor I, and never finds its way onto a piece of paper? Well, <laughs> actually, <laughs> we, we try we try to do that. <laughs> it was not really a success for many reasons. Yeah. No. Um, what what I think will be transformative, and we, we can, well, I hope, will be transformative, and uh, it's it's the equivalent of the the library for the software industry. Maybe I can explain that a bit more. When you when you create a software, and uh, and this is something I, I discover on <laughs> on my hobby side. When you build a software, we, you don't you don't start with a, a blank file and you start typing line of code in this blank file. You actually more like um, finding piece of code around the mostly the internet and buying or or having them for free, and you you assemble them, you you and you build a new software, but no software exists without some groundwork made by Hauser. And actually, I, I think every software developer today is standing on, on, the, on the shoulder of giants and can make things like Netflix, for example, or anything else. And the, the reusability of code has made this possible. But... Uh, on the other hand, in, for uh, an architect, always start with a purely blank page. Uh, if he's lucky, he has some survey. But uh, you can't really say, oh, uh, last time's construction, this this solution was really efficient. Let's reuse that. No, you, you can't do that when you are an architect. You have to redraw, restart, redef- almost reinvent the wheel at each each time you, you start a new project. Oh, you don't um, have to, but you're almost forced to. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm actually you. Well, it's it's really difficult. I think the tool we are using, whether it, well, I'm, I'm mostly using Revit, but it's the same issue with AutoCAD or well, even I work with Katia. It's almost the same issue. You you don't have technical solution package as let's say Revit families. Maybe you can find uh, a Revit family that's represent. I'm talking about Revit because it's it's something I mm-hmm. must use too. But this is uh, relevant for any other BIM software. Uh, when you pick a, a Revit family, it's not actually a, a building solution. 
it's let's say it just represents something. You pick a chair and you place it in your models. But you can't say, oh, last time I designed this really efficient office layout. Let's let's use that again. And you, you can actually use it again, but you will have to redraw it and re- almost redesign it from the grown up. And, and, and tools like Revit are not really helpful when it came to, well, let's apply this really good solution that works before. And it became even worse when you try to share your technical solutions with others. I've never seen an, an architecture or an engineering firm uh, sharing their technical solutions with others, whether it's for free or uh, or for money. But this is common practice in, for example, the, the software industry. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's because it's mostly because that it's the the technical solution is actually living in the in the in the head of the, the chief architect or the engineers that's design it. And, you know, you, you, you can't easily share that with a lot of people. And so I'm pretty hopeful that solutions that's, that can transform this expertise as little piece of, let's say, really clever Revit families, but I don't think Revit families will be the, the actual solution, but be able to, let's say, transform this expertise as a um, software uh, and be able to share it with the with the whole world. This will really change how we how we design and and build a, and build. Yeah, I actually like that analogy of yours of the the software code blocks, if you like. Yeah, because if you think of the 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 components of a building or, or piece of infrastructure, you know, the, the the individual products and materials that are assembled together to make any building. You know, I mean, those are not unique. Like in order for a product to get onto the market, it has to go through years of testing and development. And so, you know, while each, each building is unique in, in, a, in the way those are brought together, the, the actual yes. components are well established and well, uh, you know, are, are the same or, or similar yeah, on, on exactly. most, on most products. And I think, like that, as an architect, I always found it frustrating that you, you, in the beginning of a project, you're drawing doors and windows and toilets and bathrooms and showers as conceptual things, which you know, will happen in the future, and you know, all those will be changed for actual doors, actual showers, actual <laughs> basins sometime in the future of the project and you know, what a waste of time wouldn't it have been easier if i had a library of uh components that i could pick from actual manufacturing components and assemble my designs and not put my time into drawing things that are going to be thrown away but put my time into how to bring those components together and that you know that's really the the value yeah. that the architects and engineers bring is is the how to assemble and how to con- connect the, the different components, but unfortunately, at the moment, you can't get that manufacturer's information easily, uh, and the only time to get it is when a contractor has a you know a contract to go and buy those products. Yeah, that's the only time the con- the manufacturers will will speak to you, yeah. <laughs> and in general. So, 
Yeah, I think I think it, the whole thing needs to be turned on its head. The manufacturers have to say, we've got to make our products available to people um, so that they can use them in designs and not have to just put you know, representative stuff. Yeah, that might be the the start of of how the, the industry changes it when manufacturers take take more of a proactive role in supplying information. And I also think that this could really enable innovation in the let's say in the the other part of the AIC industry, because if you have today, if you have let's say a a, a good waterproofing solution for your roof. You are a waterproofing manufacturer and you have a good solutions. You have to find the engineers that can actually design your, well, integrate your uh, waterproofing solution in the design. You have to convince them that your solution is perfect for their buildings. You, you, you have a bunch of problems uh, to actually have your even great waterproofing solution actually implemented in new buildings. And I think that if, as an engineer, you just have to pick up from a library, oh, this 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 new fancy waterproofing solution, and realize instantly with your software that this solution will be perfect for your buildings, you, you don't, you, you, this will really increase the rate of, uh, of innovation in the, in the building industry, you know? And uh, the, the, the speed at which the, this innovation in particular product or component are, uh, are, uh, are spread through the market. And, and also I think if it's, it's the same thing for when people have, I don't know, for example, good solution for, um, I don't know, the, the global shape of a, of a building to, to make sure uh, that's we are energy efficient instead of having to train a thousand of, of engineers over the years to how to design such buildings. Uh, you can just send this new solution as a, as a piece of code and everybody can or cannot use it on their old buildings. But it, I really think the, the ability to package technical solutions in, in little block of code Will, can really enable uh, an, an entire new ecosystem of innovation in general in the building industry. Fascinating idea. Uh, John, you said you've known Simon for a while. Like, How did you meet and what was your common area of interest? Simon runs a website called bin42.com and it was always an interesting site to visit because there was always small tools that were very focused on specific problems that he, uh, that I can only assume he came up against during his day-to-day work, uh, you know, his, his working processes. And I always found it fascinating how small and focused on specific tasks, and I always imagined future of tooling in in the construction industry is this move from these um, monolithic big applications that try to do everything um, down to these microscopic modular tooling tools that consume and produce data to a specific problem. And 
why I got in, t in touch with Simon originally, um, as far as as far as I recall, now Simon, you could probably correct me if this is wrong, was just just to touch base with him and uh, get to understand his background and you know what what his driver was for creating these small tools. Is that is that what you remember, Simon? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a few years ago now. Yeah, and yeah. well, just just yeah. meeting meeting at last. <laughs> yeah, and, and, uh, and would you say that is that's the case? Is the future of to, tools, as you call them, in the AEC, um, going towards you know a, a, a much more diverse set of smaller tools that that you pick and choose from as you need them, rather yeah, than these. Yes. I can't imagine a future where Autodesk can have all the solutions. It's, you know, it's, for example, I, I, I won't go into Autodesk specifically, but you see one company can't have all the solutions. Today, Autodesk is, in my point, for Revit, and I think it's the same problem for every other, uh, let's say, architecture software. Uh, these these software companies are have I think a really tough problems because they have to provide solutions specific enough to be really useful to people who actually draw buildings, but general enough to have a large customer base. And for, so we end up with really large solutions like for example Revit. Uh, that can appeal to a large market worldwide, but they, 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 this solution will never be specific enough to be, to, to be really, really useful for, let's say, a, a French architect specialized in two-story buildings for small real estate developer, you know, you see. And I think the, the proper way to go is it's something more like uh, some infrastructure, um, let's say software infrastructure. And Revit kind of did that by opening the, the API, the ability for everybody to create plugin for Revit. And, you know, we, we as, a, as an industry, we need some sort of, of a software infrastructure. It can be common file data like IFC, but also we need common software, actually code, common code, and let everybody uh, in the industry, in the entire world, build their own really small tool, really focused on their actual job. And, and I think that's what's happening in the, in, in the software industry for, for, for example, I'm, I'm mostly working with C Sharp, with, which is a language developed by Microsoft, and this is this is part of a framework called .NET. And we might say .NET as some sort of a foundation base for everybody to develop software and and build on build on the .NET. There is a lot of let's say software uh, software parts. Uh, Code parts that every developer can rely upon, use, and integrate, and to finally create their very own little software. It's it's what I'm trying to do, uh, and I think that we we are maybe we are missing or we don't yet have a really 
great, um, let's say, software infrastructure uh, in the in the building industry. I think Revit started in the maybe it's it's it was a good start 20 years ago now, but in in 20 years uh, there there has been a lot of plugging developed uh, with Revit, but we I think there is still limitation to to the way Revit is uh, is actually handling things. Like you, well, you still have to actually draw a wall. You can't really you know draw a room and the wall will be drawn around automatically. There is limitations on how Revit works. That's limited also the people who are designing plugins, even if they are generally. Well, I have seen many Revit plugins that are very clever to get around Revit limitations. I think we really need some form of more open infrastructure to let everybody build their own tool upon this infrastructure. And mm. and we can't really expect some 25 young graduates interested in code like me uh, to like me when I was in uh, in, an, in this engineering firm to be able to rebuild from the ground up a complete software infrastructure. Uh, some uh, a, a young building engineer must have some sort of infrastructure to be able to build his own tool uh, on. Mm-hmm. I suppose the I mean the, the other challenge that the software companies have, like Revit and Archicad, and is that they're trying to meet the needs of two groups of people. So a group of people who are more interested in producing outputs like 2D drawings and schedules, you know, using a, a, a 3D model process, but but the, their focus is on the outputs so that, so that those people can still operate within the traditional systems, if you like, in, in the AEC sector and, and at the same time produce a piece of software that, you know, is thinking towards the future of not – not using paper-based documents, you know, because that 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 has to be the future. Obviously, we must get rid of paper because as soon as you put something on a piece of paper, the next minute it's out of date, um, you know, and you know, that's, well, that's part of the problem. People are walking around I'm, sites with drawings that are I'm six not, weeks old. Yeah, it's true, but I'm not that sure about that. It's relatively easy today, almost, to let's say produce drawings from Revit and nonetheless having a rather nice model. And this can be improved. I'm actually sure that when we exchange models between, let's say, an architect and an engineer, the only way to do it is to exchange the whole file. You can't really send to the structural engineers only the information um, useful for his own job. And so whether it's a drawing or it's a model, the say, structural engineers has to dig through the architecture model to, to take what it needs. And I think that with more, let's say, more diverse tools and more, maybe more open and uh, um, all build upon a, a common platform. Uh, this tool could be able to, for example, produce only the data necessary for a specific, um, let's, a, a, a specific engineer, for example, 
I don't know. For example, uh, that that was something that was really difficult uh, when I was engineers. We, we spent that's days, weeks, just to uh, retrieve the architecture models and sort everything out and have nice drawings to be able to finally draw, uh, let's say, ducts and pipe on it. And but for the most part, the only interesting piece of information uh, in this model were actually in the room, the, the Revit room, where we have the name and the area and this sort of things. And so I, I think that's in a, in a really efficient, well, not really efficient, but more efficient way, we, we should have the ability to, as a, let's say, mechanical engineers, to send our request the architect has code and the architect sends us back the data. And since we send the requirement as code, we have all the data we need directly in the format we need. And this could be done if we didn't, if we have the ability to, let's say, um, extract from every model only the data that we need. That I think that was the idea behind. Maybe you know that this, I think that was the idea behind the. I think it's MDV, right? John, MDV. Yes, that's it. The 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 concept behind a uh, concept behind behind the AFC specification where you could theoretically produce um, a, a sub a sub model. What might say? Well, uh, an IFC model containing only the information required for a specific, um, a specific person in the in the process. So I, I think that, that's the idea, John. Yeah. Yes, that's the idea. And have you ever tried to use the MVD tooling to no. describe a specific? <laughs> that's no. another kettle of fish. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not even sure. I, I, I haven't ever seen a yeah. software that's actually using this. Has this one intended in the first place? For good reason. Um, so, <laughs> so IFC is moving. So we there are many initiatives around IFC JSON now. So, um, like parsing IFCs to XML and JSON, and then we're actually seeing an introduction of tooling that was built for the software engineering world. Um, entering the arena where, um, because it's not just a case of just defining a specification, it's actually building all the, all the tooling around that specification, such as, for example, how do, how do we generate that specification? How do, so for example, how does the architect say, hey, Mr. Engineer, I want the room, just, just this room, for example, or all rooms that meet this criteria, how does I suppose like how do they validate that that it's valid? How do they you know exchange that um, schema? How do they do they have a contract between the architect and engineer which you know somehow validates the information as it's um, been exchanged between both parties? Um, I think that we'll see in the next five five years and increasing use of that concept of MVD, whether we see MVD as it is today in the industry is another thing. And I, I also think that the the idea of 
that I was a proponent of actually, but you know, once can change its mind. Uh, the idea of, you know, every building information in one single magnif magnificent model at the center of everything was actually misleading and maybe pushes back, uh, <laughs> pushes back a little. Mm. And yeah, maybe the language as well of IDMs and MVDs is not helpful, you know, like, cause the way I think of it, it's, it's like, um, you know, I love my food. So when you want to make a nice meal, you, you, you write a recipe that sets out some ingredients that you need and what you're going to do with those ingredients, you know, and then you go to the shop with a list of ingredients. You don't, you don't need everything in the shop. You just need those five or six ingredients. Yeah, but you, so that's the, 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 the whole model, the IFC of everything is like the supermarket and the, the MVD is like the, the shopping list <laughs> that yeah. tells you these are the six ingredients I need to make this meal. And the, the IDM is the recipe of making the meal. What you're meant to do. What's the use case? What's the business case? What are you going to do with that information? You know, I think we we have to start explaining this to people in in sort of language that they can understand because that makes sense to me. You know, as someone who loves food, <laughs> that yeah. uh, you, have, you have a business and, and process which is the recipe. You have a an MVD which is a shopping list, and you know you have the the act of going to the shops and fetching what you want. Then you can validate it as well because you can get to the tool, and if the what the what you get from the tool list is the same as your your shopping list, then you you know you're going to have a good meal. And and, and I think we also need uh, software tools like actually push these ideas forward because on the day-to-day -day work, architects and engineers use tools, and mm. I, I think these tools dr really drive how they are working and. And I think tools like Revit with their idea of, well, more or less everything in the same models really drive the, the, the process around it. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, that was a point that I wanted to come, come back to, um, around the, your point before about how you changed your idea from everything being in one model to everything perhaps not being in one model and somehow linked. Um, and to go back to your point as well, Ralph, about the language that we communicate around these different ideas, um, I want to give an example of another another discussion point that I was engaging with someone else. Um, they spoke about uh, federated models, and one, I suppose, one. Um, um, misconception that I found about this concept of a federated model is that you know you bring multiple models from different places into one, and that's typically how um, it's been sold. Well, that I've I've typically thought about it, but increasingly the more I think about it, I think a federated model is not about all the components being in one in one place. It's more about all the components being connected. So let's say, for instance, if you have windows in one system, you have flooring in another and roofs and walls in another, the federated model does not, you know, have to pull those all into one place, 
but merely have a connection between those, uh, between the different systems that are hosting those components. And maybe the, and, and it's quite likely that the evolution of the tooling around the contracts um, that we just spoke about uh, between architects and structural engineers having um, been able to very explicitly define one another. And if, if we had some sort of contractual middleware between these different systems that could be perhaps hosted by different stakeholders, the very um, implementation of a system to essentially join up all these dots could be the new definition of federated models. So, yeah, I think that, it, yeah, it's really, it's just really interesting to hear us banging this drum about an evolution in the language um, that we've been using over the last, you know, maybe, you know, we've, we've heard language in this podcast uh, that span back to, you know, 100 years probably because we're talking about buildings. Um, but yeah, in the digital, in the digital world, it's just evolving continuously. That's something as well, Ralph, you and I have been talking quite a lot about is, is language and, and the evolution of that and, and also getting it right down to, you know, going back to the earlier point about we should stop putting data onto, piece pa- onto pieces of paper because the, like the root of the problem in construction is the plumber or the carpenter who's walking around site with a six year, a six week old drawing and he's assembling or fixing something based on incorrect information that's going to have to be taken down and redone again because he didn't get the latest drawing from somebody, you know, because somebody forgot along the whole supply chain to, to print it out the latest copy and, and give it to the guys on the ground. <laughs> and what he should be walking around with is, you know, a, de- a device of some sorts that is giving him the up-to-date latest information all the time to avoid that situation where he's going to build something on site which is going to have to be taken down and rebuilt and it's going to cost somebody some time or money or you know, cause some disruption, etc. So that, that yes. has to be the future. We have to get away from – that was my point. We've got to move away from paper. It's just well, – it's causing I'm, I'm some not problems. Sure. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure specifically about paper. We, well, we I, I am. Thinking... Like I've, as an architect working on projects for nearly 30 years, I can tell you the the things that have gone on on site. And often the clients might not even see that, that people have worked with old, outdated information and literally had to take down large chunks of construction because they were working with an, an – now – Somebody has to pay for that. Usually that cost is put onto some poor subcontractor, you know, <laughs> because the client has signed a fixed, a fixed uh, contract with the main contractor and, yeah, but it's costing time, it's costing money, it's, it's causing disruption and that's ha- happening more often than you can imagine if you're not on site to seeing that happen. But it's, you know, like it's causing huge problems. And anybody, any contractor, any subcontractor would probably be able to tell you that. Yes, that's, that's, yeah, that's having, having outdated information, obviously, um, a, a big culprits in, in that, but, um, yeah. well, and paper is, is the uh, problem you, because you, the minute you print it, the very next minute after you've printed it, it's out of date because somebody's yeah. carries on, yeah, the work carries yeah. on. 
<laughs> it's the same thing for an IFC file. Once it's yeah. saved, it's out of date. Or so out of file. Well, coming back to your point, John, that everything needs to be connected and live. Yeah, like but, but for example, maybe the, the, the device you were talking about that the, the, the plumber on site has, it's, it's actually a, a small A4 printer where it can print in the morning the exact, let's say, pipes it will have to lay out in the, during this next four hours. And if, if we have softwares clever enough to actually print exactly the correct, let's say, visualization of his work for the morning, so we, Actually, paper became, became, became the device, you know, it's generated automatically and, uh, and it's, it's, it's become like the, um, it's become like the, 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 the last view of the model and, and it's actually pretty convenient to carry around on site. Mm. That's Simon's innovation hash. He's <laughs> coming up with solutions all of the time. So one of my sister has just started a role as a document controller in a construction company, and they obviously identify this uh, as a problem, Ralph. And she was telling me that in the meetings, the plumbers, etc., and um, the other stakeholders don't want to uh, learn the software that helps dis- disseminate this information. The construction doesn't want to pay for the the iPads and the devices and the training to put this informa- this real-time information in the subcontractor's hands. So, yeah, there's the whole practical element of removing paper as well that, that I think is, is, uh, is another challenge that um, mm. would have to be overcome and perhaps uh, a printer in every van could be the, could be the solution. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the product... For instance, it costs, I think it costs about 300 euros to core drill a, a hole through concrete with a diamond driller. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and, because somebody, and, for, somebody forgot and, to. An half a day, an half a day of work. So yeah, also, yeah. So, so, and it costs 300 euros for an iPad. So one hole in the concrete because you missed the hole <laughs> versus an iPad, which somebody could use for a couple of months on site. Um, of course, the whole the contractor can claim for because the, you know, some, the engineer left it off the drawing, and so he can claim a variation, but he can't claim a variation for the iPad, and that's you know, that's the problem. Is the contract is all messed up? You know, the, the contract is suited to people making mistakes r- rather than avoiding mistakes. But yeah, you know, anyway, we could probably talk for hours on on this this thing, but it's. Uh, I think the industry is really at a very low point when it gets to the, on the ground and how it operates with with information and and a lot of construction happens with very poor information, very outdated information, and people have learned to just get by and get the thing done and get it get the job finished, working with poor information, and therefore they don't they don't really appreciate the the value of of good information. But of course, jo- getting the job done. Is not the aim. Like getting the job done correctly and you know, to a high level of quality is, is probably a better aim. But we've uh, look, we've <laughs> we've come to the hour, so uh, um, I don't want to start a, a whole new discussion. Um, John, do you want to um, 
Do you have any final yeah. thoughts, comments, questions? or? No, it, I just wanted to thank Simon for his time. And I would also, before I forget, like to um, bring up the fact that we now have a new AC Hive innovation platform where anybody can go onto the, onto the platform and describe how they might be thinking about building and delivering purpose-driven solutions to the construction industry, like Simon's idea here about putting a printer in every tradesperson's van. Um, and it's a, it's really a place, if you're listening, you've, you've managed to listen uh, up until this stage, um, where you can go describe your idea and pretty much uh, put it out there for discussion with the community and yeah, there's all ki all kinds of people on there from uh, clients, contractors, design designers, etc. All focused on AEC solutions. So really encourage you to go along and check that out. And maybe Simon, we might see some sort some of the BIM 42 tools um, and future tools uh, featured on there. And we look forward to um, uh, seeing more of those. So thanks again. We'll look into. Thanks yeah. for having yeah. me. Yes, and from my side as well, Simon, a really interesting discussion. It's, it's fantastic to get the perspective of somebody who's been on both sides, if you like, you know, with BIM, but also now on the, the real estate development um, side and, you know, just understanding the sort of needs of the, the, the property real estate sector and bringing your insights. So really enjoyed that. So thank you very much from my side. My pleasure. Do you have any final thoughts or comments or words of inspiration for the AC community? <laughs> no, no, not really a word of inspiration, but but uh, I really want to thank you for this conversation and having me on the show. It was great fun. Thank you. Okay. Thanks very much. Okay.